Patricia Spence is a lot of things. She is a mom, a lover of nature, and passionate about food and justice. As the president and CEO of the Urban Farming Institute, she works every day to develop and promote urban farming, to engage individuals in growing food and building a healthy community. Please join me in welcoming Patricia Spence to Hot Mama Chronicles. Hi. How are you, Amelia? It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to be with you too. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm glad to see that um, you came over. You're in 2022. Um, you guys, she looks amazing. Her skin is popping. She looks like just, she doesn't even look like she's like over 30, like literally, like she looks amazing. So thank you for being in virtual community and let's get into the conversation. Sounds good. Um, so I want to start off with your individual origin story. So talk about, you know, how was young Patricia, um, how you grew up and um, your experience with food and with nature as a child. Uh, so number one, love, love nature, love walking barefoot in the grass. That's what I remember uh, about being little. And uh, also had grandparents that were always growing food in right in Grove Hall on Howland Street and pickling and canning. Um, these same grandparents uh, were fortunate enough to have a house on, on the Cape, kind of Wareham Mass. And my grandfather grew everything he could and summers were spent with my grandparents. So that meant swimming all the time in Onset Beach on the Cape and uh, also picking wild blueberries and uh, watching my grandfather grow and my grandmother cooking. Actually, they were both uh, superb uh, cooks. And uh, so, and just spending the summers outside pretty much. So that's, that's my origin as far as, as nature and loving nature and also uh, from school, having the ability based on the school I went to, to learn how to cross country ski in the winter, how to sail a dinghy, which I don't remember how to do either right now. And I have a love of camping from one camping trip uh, when I was probably, you know, 11 or 12 years old back in school. And so those are, those, those are some of my connections with nature early on. So how did you um, start this practice of, you know, learning this from your grandparents and then doing it for yourself? And, you know, as a young woman, um, how did you get in, interested in wanting to even work in this area and work in this industry? So there are myths everywhere. <laughs> Sometimes you look at a person and where they are in their particular career and there are assumptions made. <laughs> My let me let me say my career does in no way lead to what I'm doing now. Now, have I always been involved in nature? The answer is yes, but that doesn't equal where I am at all. Um, out of college, I was a salesperson uh, for Xerox, the Digital Equipment Corporation, for 15 years. Knock on doors, work with major accounts. I've sold in every industry. That does not equal urban farming. <laughs> and I've been in radio for five years. I've worked for Boston Public Schools for five years. I've worked for WGBH. I run another nonprofit, which I've done for 16 years in the Boston Public School System. Again, none of that equals urban farming. The bottom line is I like to go where there is a need. That would be the theme 
of uh, probably my entire life, all the way back to when I was 10, starting the early morning gymnastics club because all the kids wanted to do gymnastics. So that is who I am. And it leads me wherever it, wherever there's a need. So getting into the Urban Farming Institute, two friends of mine knew I was interested in the change and they needed the first executive director or president and CEO of the Urban Farming Institute. So I've jumped a little bit, but I need to set that premise. <laughs> My resume does not equal farming. <laughs> it does now, but not necessarily then. Thank you for establishing that. And I think that's um, one of the lessons I think in life that what you're doing now does not necessarily lead you to your ultimate purpose. And what I'm hearing from you is that your through line has been that you are a need fulfiller. Um, and so that is, um, that's, and you're still fulfilling the need at, at UFI. So in terms of, of the work of, of Urban Farming Institute, why is it so important to you? It is, it is of critical nature and I really it takes me back to working with little guys, little kids in Boston Public Schools. It was an early learning center and uh, kids would come to school to eat. So yes, you're there for education, but that's where they were getting their first meal. And maybe oftentimes most significant meals were in school. Um, while I was there, we started building uh, raised beds so that children could understand not just growing a seed in a styrofoam cup, which often we do in schools, but that they could really see how things grow by doing the planting themselves and the tending themselves and the weeding. And so this, so the Urban Farming Institute is all about getting everybody to grow. Our mission is we don't just grow food, we grow people. So what I found when I joined the organization, I was the first employee and uh, to basically develop, further develop the program. And um, one of the first things I realized after about six months in the job and certainly our first year of farmer trainees, second year of farmer trainees, that it was all about growing people. I was watching people change tremendously by just having their hands in the dirt. So we're doing a couple of things and, and it's of critical importance that we eat well, of critical importance. And where we are in Mattapan, we service Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan. But you know, you've got a store, maybe a stop and shop in Roslindale. Uh, you, you maybe you have in Lower Mills area in Dorchester, you've got a Star Market. Those stores oftentimes look different than a Wegmans in Chestnut Hill, as far as you know, produce or a Whole Foods, for example. And so, hey, let's let's cut out all of those folks and just come to the farm stand. So come to our farm stand where we have just picked the food. Those collard greens were picked yesterday or today. The, the ones you get in stores, no matter what store you get it in, you don't know how long it's been in that truck or how long it's been in that storage. So we're trying to get people to not only eat fresh food, but really, really fresh food that we've grown and we've grown without chemicals. We grow without pesticides. You can't get much better than that. And also while we're doing this, we're training urban farmers so that they, they can go off and take the mission and fulfill their dreams and their projects. You know, maybe you're, you're creating a vegan food, but you're gonna grow some of it yourself. Maybe you're an herbalist or, and, and you wanna grow your own herbs. Or maybe you wanna just teach other kids, youth in the neighborhood how to grow their food. Or maybe you just want a business growing food yourself. You wanna be a full-time farmer. So that's a critical, of critical importance too, because we want that urban farming movement to continue uh, in, in neighborhoods like Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan. 
Also, it, it is in fact, as we grow, we have actually brought back the people that we've trained. So we're looking at economic development as well. But then we also say to ourselves, but why don't we get people to grow their own food as well? So when the pandemic hit um, and people couldn't even get to the stores, we said, well, let's help people grow their own food in their backyard. So we have a whole grow box program where we'll come out, we'll build it, we'll line it with a bio barrier because unless your soil is tested, you really should not be growing in your own soil. You, you have to know how to test it, etc. So we build a box as a bio barrier. We put the soil that we like to use in it. And then May, for example, you can get seedlings from us at that time. And then we have workshops and, and Zoom workshops right now with Zoom, uh, something called the Grow Series uh, to teach you more and more tips. So we're constantly in contact with you. You got a problem, you call us. You, if you found your tomatoes have been ravaged by aphids, for example, call us, we'll tell you, you know, what you might be able to do. But then we take it even another step further. So now I've grown this food, you know, what are the different recipes I, I can use? Um, I'm Dominican, I'm Jamaican, and, and you know, how, how does the, the fresh food I'm growing, you know, what, what other types of recipes can I use? Can I make my traditional recipes healthier? So we have something called Destination Cuisine, where we're bringing in guest chefs from around the world that happen to live in the Boston area, greater Boston area. And they are imparting all of their tips and teaching all of us how to cook all kinds of food uh, from, from all the, from the islands and just everywhere, just everywhere. So it's just very exciting. So as you can see, growing food, talking about food, it is a big topic. It's a very big topic. It is a big topic because I feel like that it's universal. It um, whether you know you're from a from here or from um, you know Boston or globally, you know there is th there's something to be said about food and comfort. And so um, I know as you lifted that we're we're still sitting in a pandemic that is becoming endemic. Um, so we're trying to all figure out how we can <clears throat> exist and thrive. And so I'm curious for um, the listener out there that you know, um, uh, you know, maybe has tested their soil and can grow food or has um, the kits and the boxes at home, but just scared to touch it. I bought the thing, now the thing sits here. Um, you know, what are some tips and tricks to take the uh, fear out of, of doing it yourself um, that you can offer? Well, a couple of things. Um, again, we, we have farmers. That's what they, that's what we do. So anybody, I mean, you send us an email through our website and say, help, <laughs> what do I do next? And we just connect you with someone. Um, we can do, you know, individual consulting as well, but we will have more and more uh, what we call our grow series. And they're actually right now, uh, I'm not sure if it's on our website, but we can get it to anybody. Uh, we, Nova actually, during the pandemic in 2020, uh, asked us to do uh, kind of how to build and grow in a raised bed. So there's actually a Nova uh, episode uh, in there. It was their learning, it was a learning suite, different learning tools. And, um, and it was done via Zoom. So we, we've got that. Uh, we've got things like how to plant garlic, um, how to take care of your tools, how to close up your garden at the end of the year. Um, but also we've got a nine week uh, urban farmer training program. That nine week program uh, goes from March till about May. 
and uh, we're working on the particulars right now. I don't think it's up as yet, but you just stay tuned to our website. But it's on Thursdays for two and a half hours, and that's where you can kind of get a touch of what farming is all about in nine weeks, in nine weeks. So it's a cursory thing. And oftentimes we ask people actually come in with a business idea or how you're going to use this, this tool, this urban farming course. And then at the end of the nine weeks, we actually select uh, anywhere from three to, to 10 people to join us for our 20 week in field urban farmer training program. And those folks meet from eight to 12 every day and their hands are in the dirt and they are learning how to farm. So there's a nine week and a 20 week. Um, but also we will continue this year to offer different Zooms and different opportunities uh, to learn how to grow. And at the end of the day, you email us, you have a question, we'll get the answer back for you. <laughs> and what I also say to people that are, are starting out, uh, start out simple. You don't have to plant everything that you see uh, in, in, in there, and you don't have to plant every seed packet. Um, start easy uh, for example i always use collard greens and kale as an example if you eat collard greens every week for example we'll just grow collard greens in the backyard and then learn how to you know cut them and freeze them and then you have them throughout the winter that's an easy way to start if you love kale uh, same thing and those things also by the by grow easily <laughs> so if you forgot to water them and it was hot they're still going to live. They're still going to live. Opposed to, for example, cucumbers, which love lots of water and they love to be tended. And if you don't look at those cucumbers, you'll have this mammoth-sized cucumber if you miss a week or so of picking. So there are some plants, what I'm saying, is easier than others. My family's from Jamaica, so the green that we eat as a staple is callaloo. And it's also something, it, it grows as a weed, as it is, as some might call it a weed. Um, but it's, it's amaranth, that's the base. And so that's easy to grow. I do very little tending uh, of callaloo and it's there all summer long. And then you even learn things like seed saving, etc. You can learn how to save the seeds as well. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> so many things and I love that. Um... And I think it's so important, right? Um, you know, I um, I'm I live in the Boston area, and down the street from where I live is uh, Whole Foods, and so um, I have the luxury of having, if I want to to get, you know, vegetables, fresh vegetables or whatnot, yeah. um, as fresh as you can have from a market, right? Um, to get, um, but I think of the places and spaces where where UFI is located, and that this idea of farming, especially in communities of color. Um, and just understanding the importance of health and wellness um, and just the community that you guys create. You're doing such amazing, integral work. And I think it's also legacy work because um, I've watched and I've seen families, like kids, like actual kids, like learning kind of like what your grandparents did for you. Their, their mothers or fathers are there getting dirty in the, and like they understand the process of, of growing things and just, you know, um, creating those memories, but also creating this whole notion of a healthy lifestyle um, and what that means. So I think, you know, again, um, in terms of the work that you do um, and uh, as, as far as it uh, touches sustainability, can you talk about your commitment, UFI's commitment to sustainability and, and how that plays out? Well, uh, number one, um, I think one of the biggest ways is, is land is critical. 
We're in a city where everything is so expensive and, and we all know land, how expensive that is and how the housing market has gone up. Uh, so in order to be an urban farmer, you have to have land to, in order to be sustainable, any level of sustainability. So what I found with working on, you know, expanding our education, expanding our, our farmer training, expanding our farm operations, there is this whole other thing of responsibility called land. So you're trying to acquire land. And a lot of it comes to the Department of Neighborhood Development, who's, who've been very helpful uh, through this process. Um, and actually, let me step back for a second. Many of our board members were involved in creating something with, along with the city and so many other people, Article 80 and 89, which allowed the land to be used for commercial farming in the city. And that was passed, I think, December of 2013, right before I came on board. So land is critical, but it takes a lot of time to do. You've got to raise the funds. You've got to develop it. And for those folks, and, and when I walked in the door, I mean, people were saying, okay, we're, we're going through the training program. You know, where do I get the land? Well, little did we know that that first property that we officially developed under uh, this, the, the, the zoning called Article 89, little did we know that that 14,000 square plot of land, it cost us $260,000 to make that into a farm. So guess what? Someone like myself can't just run out and get, you know, 10,000 square feet. I'm not going to have the money to do the, the, the water connections and remediate soil and build the shed and do the signage and the fencing, all of that to code. So it made us look at it differently. And out of this thought process came the fact that why don't we develop a community land trust? And, and have all of this land work done under that. And that's now the Boston Farms Community Land Trust. It is fully staffed. It is a 501c3 with a charter to go out and acquire land, fundraise for land, and have that land held in perpetuity and sustainability, but held in perpetuity for future urban farmers. Now that doesn't mean it's all our urban farmers, for example, it is any urban farmer. And so it's still a bit of a process. It still takes time. But when you look at sustainability, A, you gotta have land. You have to have land. When we look at our own sustainability, we're currently uh, expanding our programs and expanding our staff. Like any other nonprofit, everything has been on a shoestring. And with, when you add the pandemic and, and add, you know, all the other things that we know that have gone on in, in communities of color, we are exhausted. <laughs> we are exhausted. Uh, so we are now trying to actively raise funds to bring in more people. And many times people we've trained actually train so that we can do more work and provide more food for our community. And also we are not just at the Fowler Clark Epstein Farm, our headquarters in Mattapan, we are on five farm sites. So it's about an acre or so of land. So a lot of people think that it's just our headquarters, a beautiful site in Mattapan. No, it's way beyond that. And at some point we will add more land to that as well. And so, and so uh, but I, let me jump back to our historic site, the Fowler Clark Epstein Farm. Um, we have the original building. It was a homestead 200 years ago. It was a 330 acre farm in Dorchester. So all the triple deckers you see up and down Blue Hill Avenue, et cetera, those were all part of the Fowler family's farm. So this place has actually only been owned really by three people in the last 200 years. 
So the Clark family uh, built a carriage house, a barn, and our offices are there and our teaching kitchen is in there as well. And, um, and then in the 1940s, the Epstein family purchased the property. When you talk about legacy, when you talk about sustainability, it is of critical importance for us to own this space, to farm on the land and own this space. So we've embarked on a $1.6 million capital campaign. We're about halfway there. And, and this will become a reality. So when you, when you get, and even sustainability to the point where making sure UFI has the financial reserves, et cetera, to continue the work forever. And that's what we're trying to do. And when you look at graduates of our urban farmer training program, we've graduated over probably 250 people, but in the 20 week program have probably get graduated between 50 and 60. And we often, where we can, will hire those same people back and where someone did not have a steady job or steady income, we are very, very concerned about that, that they can make a living doing something that they love and is helpful to the community. So I love that. I love that. Sustainability. Doing this work for a while now, what lessons have you taken from, um, from farming and, and how have they played out or how, how have you applied them in your life as a whole? Well, no, the, well, this this really doesn't answer your question, but the, the thing that strikes me the most uh, about growing food and, and families and people is that helping people with their health and eating, it is such a complex issue. It is just so complex. And that's one thing that, that you know, I, I will take with me always. There is no easy solution when people talk about, I've often asked about the supply chain. What would you do, Pat? I think the question is too big. What I will say is I'm gonna keep growing food for the families that are in these areas. Uh, we're only on about one acre or so. There's only so much food I can actually grow. Uh, but to help these families, I can work with other like-minded farmers though, that have big swaths of land and I can pull in sweet potatoes from them or onions from them. So we're thinking of how can we expand fruits and berries, things that we don't grow. You, you're not going to grow corn in the city. You, you need a lot of land, doesn't make sense. So we're getting that from someone else. So how can we use more and more suppliers to bring more food into the neighborhood so folks you know, can get that precious food uh, possible? Um, also, when you're looking at economic opportunities, um, you know, there's just so many things to consider for families. So we work with each person and trying to see what can we do from our end so that they can be gainfully employed and, and making a wage that makes sense as well. You know, that, that concept of the living wage, which is so hard to understand in Boston anyway, where everything is so expensive. Um, so, but it, so it's complex and we're working with people one-on-one -on -one, and as we're doing it, we're trying to uplift the neighborhood. I will also say just a lesson. If you ever want to see some resilient people meet, meet your local farmers. And I say that to everybody, no matter what has happened, the pandemic, everything changed for us and any other urban farmer and farmers in general, to be honest. Um, everybody had to readjust. Where are we going to open a farm stand? How are we going to do it safely? And what else could we do for the community? I mean, we were handing out masks, pick up your farm stand stuff and get a mask or get 10 masks, get some hand sanitizer, whatever we had to do at the time. And so all the changes that we made and many of them that we made, we actually will still use today because in some ways the changes helped us be more efficient 
and uh, and just do things a little bit differently. I mean, for example, even Zoom, everything that all of the classes and things that we did were live. They weren't on Zoom. Our nine week program was a, it was a live program, not on Zoom. But we've now found out, okay, well that works on Zoom and that means a few more people can attend who might not have been able to. Um, certainly the 20 week is in field, that's gotta be in field, but you know, we can almost do a little bit more uh, with Zoom and we will continue to use it. We also, you know, I'll save this for another part. I'll tell you about the Urban Farming Conference later. Did I somewhat answer your question? <laughs> You did, you did. Um, and so, you know, what inspires you uh, and what motivates you? Just, it's just really being in the space. It's, it, it, it goes back to the same thing. It's giving the people the opportunity to get fresh food. That I mean, it, it just, it comes down to that. You gotta eat every day. And, um, and, and but it's also an education piece to it as well. Um, folks need to understand the value of the fresh food. Some, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a bit of education that we do. But all that education happens when people get to that farm stand or get to a program that we do. Um, many times uh, people will say, particularly in the beginning, why are you doing all these different things? You're doing this over here, you're doing this with the schools, you got the farm stand, you're doing this. And the reason we do so many different things is I don't know how I'm going to get you involved. I don't. Maybe it's because your, your child did a school trip to UFI and was really excited and want to grow in their backyard. Or maybe you attended Destination Cuisine and now not only do you want to cook the dish, but you want to grow the food in your backyard. Maybe it's the farmer training program. Maybe you just wandered in on a farm stand day and couldn't believe all of this growing was going on in the community. And so our mission is to actually always provide all different multiple points of entry to this thing. And what inspires me? Uh, well, A, with all the food that we grow, and we we grow somewhere upwards of 15,000 pounds of food a year. I don't know what the number is for last year, but it's a lot of food. Uh, but, but guess what? Even with that, I grow food in my backyard. <laughs> I do not need to grow any food, but that's the inspiration. I mean, that's the fun, you know, to get your own cucumber, to get your own collards and kale and callaloo. And then there's another oh, an inspiring piece. This is for me personally. My mother loves okra. I do not like okra. I do not like okra at all. <laughs> My mother loves okra and she's like, could we, could we just grow okra in the backyard? I've never grown okra. We, my mother had kind of 10 to 12 okras every week for months. <laughs> months. They're all, they're all in the freezer right now. But I'm saying to see the joy of being able to pick the okra and, and show my mom. And we live in a triple decker, so she's right here. She's 92. And, um, and she was just so happy. She loves okra. I mean, you can't beat that. But here's the funny thing, as I've described, we live in the same house and uh, different floors. We also, my mother was the poster child for elder growing on the porch. My mother was going string beans, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes in a five gallon bucket. Um, what else was she growing? Herbs um, and, and, and tomato, yeah, so the tomatoes. So the first tomato she picked, I have a picture of it in her hands. 92, you, you could have seen the enthusiasm. It would have been the same as a five-year-old <laughs> to pick that first tomato. Wow, wow. That's the, that's the inspiration. And when you build a box for someone, a raised bed, and, and they come and show you what they've grown, and, and always, you're always growing more than you can eat. So now guess what? You're sharing with your neighbor. 
and then maybe your neighbor starts growing. So that's that's the inspiration right there. And then with the training program is to allow people to accomplish their own dreams with how they want to to grow food. That's that's interesting. I think it's so fascinating that you know um, so many leaders that I've talked to, whether they're entrepreneurs or um, nonprofit leaders or business leaders this whole idea of being in the pandemic and, and the spirit of really resiliency has played through. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, you talked about your mom's joy, but during this time, what has brought you joy? Like, what are the things that have, have lifted your own spirits as you've been such a leader to this community and to the, um, to the people that you serve, whether they're internal stakeholders and external stakeholders, neighbors, um, around around the city and beyond the city? Like, what brings you joy personally? Well, I don't know if you're gonna like this answer, Amelia. <laughs> I could give you the, I'm on a podcast answer <laughs> so that the audience will hear a wonderful answer or I can give you the truth. I choose to give you the truth. You will find that a lot of people in my position, I don't mind it saying, are just plain burnt out at this point. I'm a burnt out director. I might be smiling right now. <laughs> But we are tired, we are tired. A lot of us, there is no more adrenaline. The adrenaline's all gone. It's almost 24 months of this, and there's a lot of burnt out people. And you'll find people are, you know, leaving the field. There are a few that have just said, can't do it anymore. So actually, and, and this will give you some insight on me, and this is not quite the answer that you wanted, <laughs> but what inspires me right now is to find a respite, a place for folks like, like me in the positions that we hold, where we're trying to hold together our communities, provide for our communities, and we're tired. So this is a tangent, you wouldn't have expected to hear this, but uh, a few months ago, I created something called the four R's, rest, relax, restore, rejuvenate. There are 20 leaders of nonprofits that will be going off to a luxury resort in the Berkshires to do absolutely nothing for three nights and four days with a, with a lot of help from this particular resort and funders. We actually, I actually asked funders, pay for us to put our feet up for, for, for four days. So the funders have realized that we are some tired folks and that we need a break. And so that will happen at the end of March. So that was not exactly the answer to your question. That's an amazing answer nonetheless. <laughs> like, I let's just say, and the audience tells me well, that hot mamas walk in their truth. So you gave the answer that was truthful and the truth always sets us free, right? That's um, I am just in amazement for, of the fact that, I love the four R's. I love the fact that there are funders that are human enough Yes, they are. understand that who takes care of the caretaker, right? And, and it, it, absolutely right. I tested the, kind of tested the market before I did this and I, it seemed like it would work, but it worked very, very quickly. This was all done in about 45 days, all done. And what I asked for from, and it is a luxury resort, I asked for the best. You know, I asked, give, give me the best that package that, you know, you, you've got. That's what I want for our folks. So I call it a pilot. Pilot means it implies it'll happen again. Um, but there's some, there's some place to go with this concept of how do we get uh, folks like me? How do we, how do we keep us going and keep us healthy? 
I love that. Yeah, I love that. And, and when it, otherwise, I love to laugh. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking for people that will laugh with me. At, of course. And in, in the insanity of, of all the things that we're trying to do. <laughs> no, I, I really love that. And I think, um, I you know, I, I'm sure the pilot will grow into something. I want to know what the criteria was for picking the, the nonprofit leaders. That, um, burnt out. That, that's the you, have, yeah. you just had to, that was it. Burnt you out. have to be burnt out. Okay. All right, fair enough. I love that. I'm gonna. That is like that is so that um, is so fascinating. But that brings me joy. That there somewhere in the Berkshires is going to be this uh, 25, 24 liters of power that are burnt leaders. out. Twenty liters yep. that are going to be burnt out, but they're going to rest and rejuvenate and come back restored for this next round, whatever this wherever this leads us. As I, as you know, I started the Hot Mama Chronicles um, as an homage to my um, mom and, and the women in my family who are living their lives in purpose, on purpose, flaws and all. Um, I wanted to get your hot take as to whether hot mamas are made or are they born? Put no limitations on it. I put no limitations on it. You can't get me to answer that question. <laughs> I think this is a first in all of my interviews. Everyone, every guest has answered the question, but Pat, you are a rule break breaker. I love it. I love the fact that you do not want to put limitations on the hot mamas. I'm here. No, for it's, 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 uh, I've seen so many people and it, it's a little bit of everything. My next question is, we just started a new year, um, it's 2022. And so talk about some of the things that you are looking forward to doing this year. It's all, it's all about expansion for us this year. Uh, we've been doing everything on a shoestring and you can only do it so long. So a lot of my time will be spent bringing in some key staff, filling some key uh, positions and some that we've never had before. And that will also allow me to go out and do the fundraising necessary to support that um, along with uh, complete that capital campaign. If, if I had it, if I had to pick a time, I'd be finished this year with a capital campaign. It, it actually is supposed, to, is supposed to finish in about end of 2023, and I'm about to accelerate. I, why did, let's not wait, let's just finish it this year. <laughs> so I'll need time to, to basically do that. And then when I talk about expansion, all the education stuff I talked about, how people intersect with us, it's literally to do more. I mean, we have loose relationships with about 20 DPS school, Boston Public Schools. How can we better fit into those curriculums to really, you know, really develop strong urban or, or gardening or urban farming programs within the schools? So picture us, we've done one of everything, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that, but how do we put together a full educational curriculum? And uh, with a, so a little bit more thought. So. We're taking all the things that we do and expanding and adding more thought to them so that we can actually maybe double the amount of people that we serve. And another concept that we hope is going to happen, uh, we've held off because of COVID, is um, we, we know that the Urban Farming Institute headquarters, is it's been called the hub of urban farming. It should be a hopping, popping, bustling place with people coming and going. And we're gonna center a lot of that around our farm stand Fridays. So we, we wanna have kind of fun farm stand Fridays. Come and have fun with us. 
and what that I'll give you an idea of what that will look like. You, you walk into our gates and and there's a tent there and you, you sign up, we get your name and information. Then maybe you go to the farm stand and, and you buy some stuff. Uh, say Kalaloo is there, you know, for example, the Kalaloo's in season. Then you go into our teaching kitchen and there's someone making a Kalaloo dish and they're using the onions from the farm. They're using the garlic. Um, they're, they're using hot peppers and um, you, they get this wonderful dish and you taste that dish and Kalaloo will say it's something used by, again, the Jamaican community, many others use it in the West Indies, but maybe we have a steel band playing, uh, Jamaican steel band as you leave. Maybe you've got someone displaying Jamaican art. And because we have so many diverse cultures in our communities, you can do this, you know, the Dominican community, the, the Haitian community. Um, I mean, homage to everybody homage to everybody and that way and then you get books the kids come and get books on growing we give books on growing all the time with kids so now you've created this wonderful place that that is, is about growing and, and eating and eating healthy and understanding culture and that's that's kind of where we're going we hope to be able to do some of that this summer we also hope to bring back our annual food day event which we've not been able uh, to, to have for the last two years. And Food Day is again, uh, a wonderful uh, a day of just celebration of food. And people are making hot sauces and, and the families are planting garlic. In the past, they've actually planted garlic on the farm. And that garlic, it planted in the fall. And then in the, in the summer, it's, it's harvested right around July. And they're learning and the kids have hands in the dirt. So those are some of the places uh, that we hope to go. And in 20, 22, uh, in the last quarter, we'll plan our urban farming conference. So we are, you know, definitely leaders in the urban farming movement. And we do a conference with the uh, Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources every other year. Our last one was in 2021 in March. We will do another one around March in 2023. Average attendance 400 throughout Massachusetts, uh, the New England states, and as far as Canada, Baltimore or Maryland, Virginia. Yeah. So we'll do that as well. Wow. You guys are definitely hopping and bustling and buzzing and I love it. I'm here for it. Um, so as we close out, this has been such an amazing conversation on so many levels. Thank you for your time. It's our practice this season that we ask each guest for words of wisdom for our audience as my audience is mostly women and a few hardy, strong men, um, but also uh, people who are pursuing their dreams, living in purpose, really um, working to, to make uh, change happen, whether it's systems change or change in their own business. So just offering some words of wisdom to close us out for my audience would be awesome. Well, I say to everybody, rest, relax, restore, rejuvenate. We've all, been touched by all the things that have happened. Um, so that's that's number one, find ways to do that. Uh, number two, make sure you're doing what's important to you. And I mean, there's just, just a lot of things pulling at all of us, you know, sit down and make sure you're getting the things that you wanna do in there at some point. And for me right now, it's archery. I'm becoming an archer. <laughs> started it last May. I needed something new and something new and something different to do with my body. I was sitting too much. I was not moving. 
Uh, so archery was my thing and I love it. I love it. So, but, but make sure that you are having the time to do your passions and to do what you want to do in your life. And you're not caught up in 9 million Zooms and this and that, and, you know, making meetings and attending meetings and being helpful, but maybe that's, you're not doing some of the things that you need to do for your core self. That's what I would say. Wise words from a wise woman. Thank you so much. <laughs> Patricia, for everything, for holding space. Thank you for your leadership in this space and for your mission in developing and promoting urban farming to engage individuals, growing food and building a healthy community. To donate or find out more about the Urban Farming Institute, please visit urbanfarminginstitute.org or follow them on all their social media platforms. I'll link it up in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hot Mama Chronicles, which can be found on all podcasting platforms or connect with me on ameliaauberg.com. Remember, the road to being a hot mama is about the journey and not the destination. One love.